Matthew chapter 7, and tonight I will be preaching on one verse. Wow. Yeah, one verse. It's, a, it's an important verse, and it's a very well-known verse, and so we'll take our time with this verse. No, we've, we've went over one already. Um, if you go ahead and look down at verse 12 of chapter 7. I'll read this passage and then I'll pray for us. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Father, as we come before your word, Lord, help us to remember that every jot and tittle, every word, every sentence, paragraph, chapter, book in this book of yours is of you. It's from you, Lord. And Lord, your word will not fail. It will either bring the result of life or death. And so, Father, I pray for our hearts that you would increase our faith, that the Spirit would work in a way that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts of humility. And so, Father, be with us in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I went to Bible college back in the day, um, uh, I remember my first time taking a preaching class. Um, And it's very interesting learning preaching in a classroom, but we did it nonetheless. And it was kind of a nerve-wracking thing, getting up in front of people your age and doing something that you're not experienced in doing. And more than that, you are preaching from the Bible, and when you have this view of the Bible, it's kind of like intimidating. I don't know if you know the story, but Martin Luther, uh, he's this German guy who lived in the um, 16th century, and he, we call him one of the, the reformers because the Catholic Church at the time was very dysfunctional, had really bad theology, and so he's one of these guys who nails 95 theses to the church store in Wittenberg, Germany. So every Halloween for, from now on, the rest of your life, you think October 31st, Martin Luther 95 Theses. So October 31st in my heart is not Happy Halloween. It's Happy Reformation Day, right? Yes and amen. Uh, well, this guy, Martin Luther, he was a Catholic, you know, monk. And one time, the very first time he ever led communion, uh, the Catholic Church still teaches this to this, to this day, that the wine that they take for communion is the literal blood of Christ. That it, when, when you take it, it becomes the literal blood of Christ. Now, for someone who actually believes that, he's giving communion. And he, he truly believes this theology. This is the blood of Christ. And he's overwhelmed by the, the seriousness of this moment. And he starts shaking And he spills some of the blood of Jesus, right? There's a sense in which when you you realize like this book, and and by the way, Martin Luther would eventually realize that that the the wine that we take of communion is, is not the literal blood of Jesus. And that was a bad teaching. But when we come to the Bible, even one little verse, this is this is God's word. This is serious. We should take it very seriously. And, and, I, and I say all of this because when I was getting up there to preach my very first sermon in front of this class, I remember like kind of being like, uh, 
you know, shaking my voice. Uh, my mouth got really dry and cotton mouth. And uh, I, I had a bunch of things I was going to say, and I, and I didn't say it. And I remember my professor, it's really wise, Aaron, you did a really, really good job here. Here are some things that work on, but you did a really good job. You know what we call like a sandwich? Like, here's some good stuff. Work on that. But here's these things that are really good too, right? You know, you give a critique to a friend. Hey, you're a really, really good friend. You're kind of a jerk on Fridays, but I love being your friend, right? You're like, oh, you just sandwiched me, man. Like, um, but one of those things that he put right in the middle, he said, Aaron, when you communicate things, you want to say it as simply as possible so that a kindergartner can understand, right? Sometimes when we approach the Bible, it can be a little daunting, you know, especially when we read like the words of the Apostle Paul. Like the other day, I was reading 2 Corinthians out loud with my wife, Amy, and there's these things he says, and I look at that, I'm like, what are you saying, Paul, right? And that's part of the job of like, as, as Christians living in the 21st century, this is why we study, this is why we, we examine it. And, and honestly, this is why I even went to seminary, so I can know the, the original languages and someone could teach me how to properly interpret these things. And the thing about that is, though, it's really nice when someone can take something that's very complicated and just kind of summarize it into like a very you know, succinct and clear and concise statement. I ever watched a movie where or a kid's show, I watch a lot of kid's shows these days, where someone starts getting all brainiac and they explain all these things and then one of the characters is like, in English please, or like, you know, say it to me simpler, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes like, we can feel that way when we approach the Bible. It's like we read these things, we're kind of like, huh, right? With all of that said, I think there are a few verses in the New Testament that I call boil down passages where they take a whole bunch of teachings in the New Testament and they kind of boil it down like to this one verse. Some of these boil down passages, uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2.89, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourself, but is a gift, Right? Um, there's a few others, Romans 12, 1. But I think Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 is one of those boiled down passages. And this is why the golden rule that we're looking at tonight is so well known. The golden rule, you would be surprised to think that this is a Christian teaching because so many people teach the golden rule. You don't even have to be religious to know the golden rule. I mean, I think from the age of kindergarten and on, all we are taught is do unto others. That you don't want to be done you know, to you, right? And, and when I read this passage, I can't help but think of a few years ago, I was listening to a political speech. And this person was running for president and they were at a Christian college, but they were running on a liberal platform, which means they were a Democrat. And this person gets up in front of a large Christian audience and First thing, right out of the gates, do you know what he says? I believe in the golden rule that you should not do to others what you would not do to yourself. The very next thing out of his mouth, I believe in a woman's choice 
when it comes to her pregnancy. And I remember thinking about that. It's very interesting that you would say, you would, you would, you would, mon- you would glorify this don't do to others that you wouldn't do to yourself. Abortion is fine. Well, personally, I don't want people to end my life prematurely. <laughs> and I wouldn't want to do that to other people. This like immediately is a huge hole. And this person didn't win the presidential race, um, but they're a very well-known politician. No, no. And so, with all of this, with all of this said, like this is one of these boiled-down passages that is just so well-known in pop culture that it's really easy to really miss the force of what Jesus is saying. And again. When we look at a verse, it's never really wise to simply just pull a verse randomly out of context. Jesus gives this verse in the greatest sermon that's ever been given. And as a matter of fact, this verse is kind of beginning to cap off his conclusion. So imagine this. Every time you give a a speech or every time I give a sermon, imagine it's like an airplane. How many of you have been on an airplane before? Okay. You should all know that with the airplane, you have your initial takeoff, takeoff right? You're, you're kind of getting up to, to speed. And then you have your main flight where you're in a jet stream or going against a jet stream. And then you have your descent, okay? Yeah, and your ears have issues like that, okay? <laughs> Typically in a message, in a, in a speech, you'll notice that it's kind of like that. They have their introduction where they're giving you the need, why you need to listen to this. And then they make their argument, and they prove their argument, and I preach out of the passage. And then you start coming down, right? So maybe in one of my sermons, I say, I give a story about anger and how I get really angry when people aren't driving the way they should, right? And I talk about what does Scripture have to say about that, okay? That's the introduction. I'm giving the story. And then I'm preaching, okay? And I'm preaching for like 25 minutes. You're like, all right, Aaron, okay. And then you hear me say like, so sometimes when we're in the car and we get really angry at other people driving, and I bring back up what I just said, you intuitively know, like, oh, he's beginning to bring us back down. Okay? I share that because in a lot of ways, this is what Jesus is doing even in this sermon. Do me a favor. Just in your, one page over. Look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Okay? So... Everything from Matthew chapter 5 all the way down to verse 16 really shows Jesus' introduction. He's kind of giving the value statements. He's kind of giving like the interpretive key to the rest of the sermon. But starting in chapter 17, this is really the main body of the sermon. Matter of fact, this little passage right here in verse 17 through 20 is really his main thesis statement. Go ahead and look at verse 20. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is telling his very religious audience that unless you have a righteousness that far exceeds any religion, like the, 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 the tier of the top you know, religious people, you can't be in my kingdom. And you kind of think like, I'm never going to have that kind of righteousness. He's like, you're right, let me show you, actually. And he looks at anger. And the way he defines anger, you're like, I have tons of anger, right? And then he talks about lust, and he says, lust is not 
You know, just doing the act, it's even just thinking it, and, you, and you're, you're an adulterer, right? Oath-keeping, keeping your promises. Like your yes, be yes, and you're going to be no. You're like, I'm doomed, man. I have no righteousness. And that's the point. That's the point of the life of the kingdom. Do me a favor. Look back at chapter 5, verse 3. Jesus, the very first thing he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's what Jesus is saying. The only way you get into my kingdom is by recognizing you don't have this type of righteousness. And you can't do it. But then he goes on in chapter 6, right? And he begins to talk about in his kingdom, what is the relationship we have with the Father? And how we ultimately, we don't do things for man's approval, but we, we do it because we love our Heavenly Father. And this is how we should pray. And ultimately, we can't have two masters. We can't, we can't be one foot in the world and one foot in following Christ. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that way. And so therefore, if we're going to really be of the kingdom, we should store for ourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth. And all of this leads us to the beginning of the end of the sermon in chapter 7. Do me a favor, look at 7 chapter 1. Jesus says, Judge not that you not be judged. Now look at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot. Look at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. What Jesus is doing in the beginning part of chapter 7 is he is helping his listeners understand the few little nuances that come with his sermon of how do we live this Christian life. So in essence, Jesus, he gives this whole sermon talking about have a good righteousness, love the Lord, pray to him. But he says, hey, really quick though, don't be that kind of Christian who's judging people's external motives. Don't don't judge people like that. But then he gives a second little nuance. But at the same time, be aware of people. Be discerning. Don't just throw your pearl before a swine. And even more than that, the passage that we studied two weeks ago, the way that we actually learn to live this life in the kingdom is by relying on dependence upon our Heavenly Father, by prayer, that we don't live this life in the kingdom by our own strength. And so lastly, this leads us to the verse that we have now. Jesus gives his last little nuance. He's kind of like his last little... Also, you should know this. If you want a boil-down passage, if you want a summary of a life in the kingdom of God, here it is. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So Jesus here, he's trying to just kind of summarize some of his teaching. He's trying to boil it down This is what it looks like to be a follower of me. And so as we go through this, here's what I'd like to do with this one verse, okay? This is what we're going to spend our time on. We're going to actually look about what does the golden rule look like? Second, our problem with the golden rule. And third, the motivation to live the golden rule. Okay, so let's just look at it. So Jesus says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Now, here's the first thing I need to just point out by way of observation. Typically speaking, when most other religions or your kindergarten teacher or your mom teach you this rule, 
it is typically taught in the negative. Okay, do you know what I mean by that? It's usually said, don't do things to others that you don't want have done to you. For example, do you like when people hit you? No, Billy, you don't like it when people hit you, so you shouldn't hit others. Do you like it when people gossip about you at the recess, playground? No, I don't like it when people do that to me. Well, then you shouldn't do it either, okay? Do you like when people talk to you in a condescending way? No, you shouldn't do it either. Do you see how, generally speaking, this is how the golden rule is taught. But there's a problem with that. And I don't think it's necessarily the worst problem. I think it's still a good way of kind of summarizing what Jesus is teaching here. The problem is, is that it doesn't probe deep enough. Because usually when we explain things in the negative, it only kind of becomes like this external type of like big noticeable sins. Don't hit. Don't swear at people. Don't get, you know, sinfully angry at people, right? But, but look what Jesus says here. It's not the negative. It's the positive. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. Now let's think about it in the positive light. Do you like when people welcome you and value you? Do you like it when people are really nice to you and just sincerely and genuinely kind? Do you like it when people remember your name the first time they meet you? Do you like it when people just go out of their way and they are generous towards you and they they buy you something and they don't force you to pay you back? Do you like it when you just get random acts of goodness and kindness towards your way? Do the same to others. You see, I actually think when Jesus puts this golden rule in the positive instead of the negative, it's far more probing into our hearts. It's really easy to say, look, oh, I don't do those bad things to people. Well, I don't hit, I don't do those things to people, so I'm kind of good with the golden rule. But when you, when you sit there and you begin to observe and think about your life, am I doing the good things to people that I like to receive? Can I be honest? Like, that should bring some conviction. How many of us are guilty of just not doing the good things to people that we like? There are moments I have randomly. Mm, I think of one now where I remember being very unkind to people whether I was in the sixth grade or junior high or high school, right? I just said some really just stupid things, mean things, and I know that they were hurtful, and I just die inside when I think about it, even though it's 20 years ago. And there's a sense in which all of us here, when we truly gauge our life with this rule, there should be a problem. And that's the second point. The problem is, we don't do this well. We don't do this well. Most of the time when we walk into a room, we are immediately thinking about 
what can these people do for me? Who's going to talk to me? Who's going to make me feel valued? Who's going to make me feel loved? But, but notice what Jesus says here. He adds on here. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, if you ever come across this phrase in the New Testament, here's what the law and the prophets really mean. The entire Old Testament. The way that the, um, the Jewish people refer to all of the Old Testament, all of this stuff that we have at the beginning of our Bible, really Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. So all of this thickness right here, all of that, there's a lot of stuff, right? A lot of pages. Most of your Bible is that, the law and the prophets. Jesus says, doing the good to others that you like receiving summarizes all of the law and the prophets. Now, that, that should be startling to you. If, you. if you have your critical caps on right now, like, wait a second. You're telling me the entire Old Testament is sum, summarizing it by saying, I should do the good things to other people that I like to do. What do you think is missing in that equation? Isn't there something in the Old Testament that says, like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? How could all the law and the prophets be summarized only in doing good to others? Matter of fact, back then, many people, uh, there's a question raised to a rabbi. He said, while hopping on one leg and tapping your head, summarize the entire law and the prophets. Okay? The, the point being that you probably can't do this for the longest time, and there's a lot here, so you need to summarize it really quick. Right? Matter of fact, someone would, would come up to Jesus and, and ask him this question, what is the law and the prophets? And do you know how Jesus responds? He responds with the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is this. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. See, I think Jesus here is just kind of summarizing a little bit. Let's be very honest here, guys. Listen. You won't ever learn to do the golden rule, the good stuff to others that you want done to yourself, if you aren't doing the first, loving God. Do me a favor really quick. Keep your finger here and go to Galatians chapter 5. Paul does the, the same kind of thing. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now listen very carefully. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now again, we have this exclusion of like, what about this whole thing about loving God? Love God and love people. Man, have we not heard that since like the first time we ever came into church? It just kind of drilled into us. Love God and love people. Both Paul right there says the entire Old Testament, the entire Bible is fulfilled in love your neighbors yourself. Jesus right here says all the law and the prophets is the golden rule. Do unto others. And so ultimately... We need to realize that the problem that we have 
with the golden rule truly stems from a lack of love for God. Loving God is going to always be synonymous with loving others. So here's my encouragement to you right now. Take an inventory of your life. Take, take stock of how you do with the golden rule. How, how good are you at just doing the good to others that you like to receive? Truthfully, honestly, like how, how often are you living out the golden rule? And you can play out the negative or the positive. How many of us have resentments towards people? Are easily angered or easily annoyed by others? How many of us walk by people and don't show them kindness or hospitality in any way? How many of us look to people simply for them to give us something? Or even worse, we look to people and we objectify them, make them into objects of our lusts and our desires. Just, and again, just think, how do you want to be treated? As an individual, as a human being made an image of God, how do you want to be treated? With kindness? With respect? With tenderness? You want people to notice you, to say hi to you, to give you friendship, to forgive you if you've done something wrong? Do you honestly do all those things to other people? You see, when we truly take the golden rule and we put it underneath the microscope of our lives, here's where it should lead us. I am spiritually bankrupt. I am poor in spirit. But see, here's the good news in that. If you can observe the golden rule in your life and you could come before God and you say, I, I, I fail at this rule every single day. Oh, Father, I, there's too many times where I have not treated people the way that I want to be treated. I have treated people the exact opposite way with how I want to be treated you know what Jesus says to that? He says, congratulations. You get the kingdom. You understand. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, that, that's the problem we have, is that we don't do the golden rule. This is what Jesus is saying. You need a different type of righteousness. You need a new heart. You need to be converted. You need a, a new birth in order to truly live out this golden rule. As the truth be said, I, I kind of scoff at those who without the power of the gospel, without the righteousness of Christ, who try to tell little kids to simply live the golden rule. I mean, you mean well. But without Christ, you can't ever get it. And so, what is our solution? Right? We, we understand what the golden rule is now. We understand our problem that we don't do it. How do we move forward? Look at verse 7 of chapter 7. Ask, and it'll be given. 
Seek, and you will find. Knock, and I'll be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it'll be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to good give gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do you know what Jesus is, is telling us here? Dependence upon God. Trusting in Christ is the only way we can truly learn to love God and love our neighbors in the ways that we want to be loved. It's not going to be, I'm just going to try a lot harder. I promise this week I'm going to do better. No matter how many good intentions we have, it's only going to last for a little bit. And this is typically why. When people boast the golden rule, only two things happen. Pride or despair. I'm pretty positive that politician, the God in front of all those people, I believe in the golden rule. I believe that he goes to bed at night thinking that he truly does this well. And because he believes that, he is lost. And he will never actually live this the way that Christ has for us. And then there are people who hear this and think like, man, I'm doomed. I never do this. I'm the worst. I suck. Both of those responses are void of any faith. But here's the beauty of the gospel. You ready for this? Jesus is the only person who truly treated every single human being that he ever encountered the way that he wanted to be treated. Can you imagine a person who every time you talked with him, every encounter you had, there was gentleness, patience, forgiveness, grace, understanding, an ear who would listen, a friendly smile. Every single time. Who turned the cheek even when he was being wronged, would pray for those who would persecute him. Who would literally on the cross, being crucified, would say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it's the more we incorporate ourselves into this Jesus, the Jesus who's willing to die for his enemies, where we will begin to notice in our life that we naturally begin to do the very things that Jesus has done to us. Because this is, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to treat others how he has treated us. Do you not realize that you are recipients of this golden rule? That this is how Jesus treats you? And so one more time, take stock of how you live this rule. Take stock of the practical ways in which you know God is calling you right now to love others the way you want to be loved. Put yourself in your parents' shoes. Imagine you are a child, or you are a child. Imagine you are a parent. How would you want your kids to talk to you one day? Imagine all your friends. Imagine how you want to be treated. Imagine your teachers. 
there's any space in your heart, imagine a youth pastor. Right? How would you want to be treated? And remember this. Remember how Christ has treated you. And go and do the same to others. Let's pray. Jesus, we need your help. We need your divine spirit to come and to remind us of all the ways in which you have shown us your love, your mercy, your grace, your patience, your tenderheartedness. Lord, Lord, there's there just so many ways in which we could repent of all the ways we have failed to love others the way we've wanted to be loved. Father, in this day alone, I, I come before this command just guilty. But yet, Lord, we thank you that your grace is sanctifying us, it's changing us, it's transforming us. And, and Lord, we pray that the more we reflect on the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus and how we have been treated as recipients of the gospel, that we can have the power to live this rule. So Father, I, I pray that these students here tonight would be synonymous with people who are going around in all of the relationships that they have with their siblings, with their parents, with their friends and teachers and com other community people, Lord, that they would sow seeds of the love of Jesus, that they would be the hands and feet of Jesus, that they would be bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, I pray that their lives this week would show an increase in faithfulness tenderheartedness and gentleness and self-control. And Lord, I pray that you give them the faith to continue to live a life of daily repentance in which they rely on Christ to, tr to do to others as they had want done to them. Thank you for the grace of the gospel. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.